Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business, RV, boat, motorcycle, bundles. They'll make sure you're fully insured and also do everything they can to save you money. They're the pros, pros in insurance. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Play-by-play call of the day, Wallace Wade Stadium in Durham last night. Duke beats Clemson. Leonard from the shotgun, takes the snap, quick look to the left, talks to Ron, straight ahead, trying to break a tackle, he does, he's got a first down and more, 30, 20, Leonard, touchdown, my goodness, and the Blue Devils have the lead, Leonard takes a knee, it's over, both arms in the air for the head coach, and why not? A statement for Mike Elko as the students pour onto the field. 28-7, to the final score. Duke thumps the Tigers. Yeah, there you go. I mean, and, and like Florida State did with LSU, Duke pulled away in the second half against Clemson. I mean, Pretty impressive uh, how they played last night. And again, you know, it's week one. Things can happen in week one. I think it sends a message to every coach across the country. You know, when you're looking at whatever game it happens to be, like, hey, guys, uh, take care of business. Uh, people can beat you. Well, it was a con, not only that for Clemson, it was a conference game, it was an ACC game. So. There you go. Um, so, terrific win for Duke to get out of the gate, and it's week one. This is uh, this is as we all know, it's a marathon, and Matt fits in perfectly with overreaction Tuesday. So, you heard it on the LSU comments because he has a personal vendetta against Brian Kelly. No good! No good! No good! It just seems so personal with you. <laughs> I'm a hater. I'm admit, I admit it. I thoroughly admit it. <laughs> I am not afraid to admit it. I'm watching the game, and I, I started laughing a little bit as Florida State's pulling away. I said, well, I know who's enjoying this. <laughs> I knew you'd be in, you'd thoroughly enjoy it. Bingo! I knew you'd thoroughly enjoy it. That was a great win for Florida State to win neutral field. Sort of neutral. They played in, in Orlando. 
But to win that game, the way they did it, Jordan Travis played really well at quarterback. Um, and it's a game that featured a lot of mistakes. You're going to get into these opening game mistakes, okay? It just because again, college football is the only sport that doesn't have that preseason run-up. I, you know, with a with a scrimmage against somebody else or a preseason game against somebody else. You know, you look at high school football; at least they all have that one scrimmage before they start. So that helps. Um, and that's why I asked Matt, have you seen now an improvement in week two in the tackling? Because now at that point, high school football has a scrimmage, an opening game, and now week two. And he was talking about, yeah, he definitely saw a definite improvement in tackling. Um, I think if we were asked Kevin Hur and uh, and Greg Wetzel and, uh, um, and the Chief, they probably would say the same thing. They probably saw better overall tackling in game two than game one. And again, high school also has the scrimmage in front, too. So it's really like for them, week three of actually tackling somebody else. You're going to see that in the NFL. The NFL is going to start on Thursday with Detroit and Kansas City and then work their way through the weekend. We're going to have Merrill Reese, who, by the way, just celebrated his birthday over the weekend. Uh, Merrill Reese and Bill Hillgrove. And we're going to congratulate Bill on 50 years of Pitt football, 50th season of Pitt football, and his 30th season doing the Steelers. We'll mention that as well. Uh, but that is going to be, you know, something in the NFL. It usually takes like three weeks. Like we'll get to the end of the month of September and you'll start to see real tackling in the NFL, like good, crisp, consistent the key is consistent tackling. It's not as if guys can't tackle right now. They can tackle, but it's doing consistently being a good tackling team. And that's just something, the way preseasons are set up now are, are just a little bit different. And that is something that, you know, getting out of the gate, it's almost like that's the place that you can get. Your tackling is right there. But there we go. There is is the opening week. Is there anything else that is upsetting you? Uh, No, I think I got it all out of my system from the weekend. I I felt like the the Brian Kelly complaint was actually a moment of joy for you. It wasn't really a complaint. (laughs) Uh, Yes, that's correct. But again, you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and I pretend to know what Brian Kelly's personality is like. I don't. It just seems like he's always trying to, I don't know, win over or play to the LSU crowd. Like, eh, okay. Just be you. Just be you. I'll say this. Based on the dudes running across the stage and jumping into the street, there's four of them. They were enjoying being themselves. <laughs> I know it upsets them. I know it upsets some people in our group. I'm not talking about like Brian, Jack, and I. We were like, hey, okay. We kind of laughed about it. Um, but there are other people around that, that worked there that, were, that weren't happy about it, which I understand because, I mean, somebody could jump off the stage and guess what? And boom, you have an ambulance there. So there is a safety issue involved. But everywhere I walked on Saturday, just so many people just, you know, there was an anticipation. And we saw it during the week. The quarterback club had a record number of people 
at the Wednesday luncheon. Like, wow. Then we went to the field at Tawtree's to the Thursday night show with Pat and James. And they couldn't get enough people in there. Now, that's now those aren't places that have 110,000. But the interest was there that made you think, hey, this could be a pretty doggone good crowd. And it turned out to be a great crowd. So, yeah. All right. Take a break. Mark Wogenrich is next, and then Neil Kulong here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. There's something to be said about a sale with a handshake, a service technician who really knows what he's doing. They can explain it in English what the problem is. There's nothing better than having that friend you could trust in the area. That's Sunbury Motors, where you get selection, knowledgeable salespeople, and prices that fit your budget, and more important, that friend you can trust. Welcome to Sunbury Motors, Kia, Ford, and Hyundai. You could shop other dealers and compare prices, but at Sunbury Motors, you get their lowest price promise. They research the current used vehicle market and guarantee their used car prices are the lowest. If you find a lower price, Sunbury Motors will beat it. Three dealers, all in one. See their full new and pre-owned inventory at sunburymotors.com. Pick out a vehicle you like and schedule your test drive online. Follow them on Facebook. Sunbury Motors Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. gets ready for the game Saturday with Delaware. Noon kickoff on at 10.30 on Eagle 107. Very pleased to be joined by one of the best in the business, and that is Mark Wogenrich. Mark, always a pleasure. Great to have you with us back on the show again. Yeah, appreciate it, Steve. Thanks for having me, too. All right, so uh, what was your thumbnail and as to how you looked at Saturday night now that you've had some time to absorb what you saw? I really, I really like the fact that they played an opening game against a Power 5 team. We'll judge what kind of Power 5 team West Virginia is in about 8 to 10 weeks. But you're still playing a full-throttle Big 12 team, opening night, first game. And, and so you have expectations of this team going into that game. And I think coming out of it, they reach probably – most of them. Drew Aller was as good as you could possibly have hoped he would be. Didn't really need any sort of uh, superhero uh, theatrics from your running backs. He kept them pretty fresh. It combined 23 carries. You know exactly what you have in your tight end, so the fact that I think there was, what, one or two targets to them and one catch simply means that you have that coming out of uh, this game that you can you can throw to him twelve times, you know, this week and the next two weeks when you start Big Ten play, and then defensively, if you felt like there was some sort of shakiness early against the run, you get the fact that it was a running quarterback in you know a unique kind of look that Penn State uh, really hadn't seen, and you probably hadn't seen much in, in training camp either, than maybe a couple of snaps against Bo Pabula. But you held them to about, what, 140 yards rushing and seven points, essentially, 
from your first team defense. Like the, for me, the functional final score was 31-7 in that game, and that is, I think that's you know that's a win pretty much all the way around. Yeah, I would say so as well. Uh, something you you look at in an opening game, uh, and it it was it was a problem in almost every game I watched. Penalties and turnovers. Penn State had one penalty. It was on special teams on a false start and no turnovers in the game. So for the most part, in those two areas, they played clean. It was an overwhelmingly clean game. I know West Virginia Neil coach or West Virginia coach Neil Brown mentioned about uh, they must have blocked really cleanly not to have any holding penalties. Okay, fine. Every coach can say that there's holding on every play, that sort of thing. But if you needed to look for something to be can, uh, to be critical of, the fact that you mentioned the one penalty was on special teams. Special teams probably had across the board the most things yeah. that would make you um, just the most things to, to have to fix, essentially. Um, and I think that to me, if if you're going to come out of that game saying we this is an area that um, for fans, anyway, watching the games, like special teams seem to be didn't have their best night. Um, that's for sure. And special teams are one of those things. That I think, from fans' perspective, I'm not talking about you know, the coaching staff, but from a fans' perspective, you don't think about special teams until you do think about special teams. Right. You see, you know, a fair catch at the five or six yard line, two missed field goals, um, kind of a you know a short punt in one situation. The you know, maybe the blocking into the returner, which negated a potential um, uh, you know, personal foul on Caden Saunders' uh, fair catch, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that was, I think, where the elements of cleanup come in. And, and for a team that wants to contend for a playoff spot, um, that that's a bigger that's a that's a bigger thing than maybe you you would expect to come out of game to be. A playoff contender, you've got to be, you know, you've got to be running full cylinders on everything that includes special teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was on Sirius XM yesterday with Jason Horowitz and Ben Hartsock, and Jason brought this up, and he said it's been a weekend where a lot of things happen. You know, Utah beats Florida, Florida State beats LSU, Colorado over TCU, and this was before uh, Duke beat Clemson. He said, "Is he said, how comfortable is Penn State to go about their business, and really, in some ways, do it under the radar, even though it was a nationally televised game, but other people are taking the headlines." And he said, "He said they probably have to feel comfortable, like, hey, we can just go about and do our work." What do you think about that? Absolutely, that's. A, I mean, James Franklin brought that up today. I oh, mean, did he? Basically, he said, and not in, in so many words, but he said, you can't take wins for granted. Yeah. And that's something, that, if you think about last year, I mean, the fact that they won five straight to finish that season and got progressively better against their schedule, it did, you know, after the Ohio State and the Michigan losses, they did win games. You know, they yeah. won five games, then they won the, you know, won the Utah game to finish 10 and 2. You can. You know, there are times when you might not be able to come back from an issue. So, it's curious you mentioned that because I was asked um, a couple of weeks ago what would be more important for Penn State fans this year to go ten and two and lose to Ohio State and Michigan, or to go like ten and two and 
beat them but lose other games. And that was the point I think that was trying to be made. Is there something to be said for taking um, taking care of the schedule that you could take care of? It's, you know, things happen. That was, that final was, what, 28-7 last night? Duke over Clemson? Things can yes. go awry yeah. if you don't if you don't play the game in front of you. And that's, a, you know, so to come out, as I said, I felt like that was a 31-7 game. All yeah. in all, that is, um, that's about as good an opener, I think, as you could hope for. I, I realize they had, what, four sacks in the game, but none of them were from the defensive ends. Uh, and there were points where West Virginia ran the ball. And I'll tell you, Donaldson's tough up the middle and Green's quick to the edge. I, I want to give them all the credit in the world for that. And their center, a, their center was really. Zach oh, Frazier was. Yeah. Oh, he is. He's a pro, isn't he? I mean, yeah. I think that's an that's an NFL caliber player. I mean, he got leverage. He moved. He moved. He moved forward. He was something. Yeah, really impressive player. But there's a stat I keep on my chart. I I call it stop rate. And there were 11 drives in the game for West Virginia, and Penn State stopped them on nine of the 11. And to me, today, there's a bottom line uh, in, in college football. And to me, that's one of them, Mark, the ability to stop the other guy without giving up any points because of how wide-open offenses are. Yeah, and I, did, I think James Franklin had mentioned the fact about getting off the field. He felt like they should have gotten off the field more. I think still in the first half, West Virginia was one for six on third down. They converted a couple of fourth step, fourth downs with you know the push play. That is essentially an unstoppable play anymore in at either level of football, you know, and then the NFL or, or college. But they did get the you know they got a few stops on third down, so they should have gotten off, off the field except for those two fourth and shorts. Chop Robinson was not thrilled with the game he played. He did mention something interesting about the fact though as not by way of excuse, but as an explanation of the thing, you play or you practice a month through training camp, you can't touch a quarterback. Now you're asked right. to you're asked to chase down a quarterback who is not just not a pocket guy. He's Chop can't tee off on this on, on this guy. He was elusive. He got outside them a couple of times, um, pretty effectively. So he's saying, you know, the mindset too is you come in and it's either You've either got to get used to being able to hit a quarterback again, or you get so wound up that you haven't hit a quarterback, you're trying to do it, that you get out of your gap assignment. And that always brings me back to the thing that Manny Diaz says, is that the most important thing that this defense has to do, even with all its talent, depth, and everything, is gap sound and gap fundamental, you know, being fundamentally, or being fundamental in their gaps. I think they lapsed a little bit of that um, on occasion. And, uh, you know, that's it's certainly repairable though i don't that's not necessarily uh i don't think that would be a trend at all for this defense uh okay so we talked about the correctable things and you know they're all correctable cuz look you're going to need there's going to be a point you're going to need a field goal not just to win a game but also to extend the lead so i mean that that's an obvious one uh they played a lot of people in the game uh, the the benefit of doing that moving forward for a team that, that we all feel has some depth. It's always a huge benefit. In particular, I thought, and I know there's a lot of conversation surrounding this. It even came up again today about the, you know Bo Perbula's touchdown. That was an enormous. I thought 
and it was a great thing to be able to get him and that second team offense on the field. You mentioned about needing a field goal. If you think about that situation, it's a two-possession game, and West Virginia is taking the onside kick with three and a half minutes left because they had missed two field goals. Right. So that's a three-possession game if they even make one of them. If West Virginia, you know, recovers that onside kick, Good well, here point. comes James Franklin's first-team defense back out on the field with three and a half left. So, you know, recovering the onside kick gets you the first-team offense or the second-team offense on the field, but situationally too, making those field goals gets you gets the guy you know gets the reserves onto the field even quicker, and that that's coming you know coming back to the idea of of getting fixes on the special team. That was to me that was big that Bovarula got to run that series. It yeah. was important that he got to specifically throw the fourth down pass. I think, yeah, because he's run. I mean, he's got to be he's got to run that offense. And in a situation, if somebody's going to run a defense at him that he's got to throw against, then he's got to throw against it. He just doesn't, you know, he doesn't give up a play. You can't ask players to give up plays just because they're in a situation leading like that. And for him to be able to get on the field, run a play, score a touchdown, essentially run a two-minute offense, there's a world of value uh, for him and for the rest of that group. One final question, Mark, with with your experience of covering so many teams over the years, normally how many games does it take before you start to really get a feel for the team you're watching? In Big Ten play, I would say it took even until you got into the Big Ten season, and that's been normally three games. Yeah. Right. Conventionally, they're playing three non-conference that going in last couple of years. That's changed with playing Purdue and Wisconsin to start the season. So they're, you know, they're re. I think they're making us reassess how we assess the team because right off the bat, last two years you had to assess them in a different way. Same thing this year. I, I think it's different to assess a team that's playing West Virginia, and essentially, you know, NBC Sunday Night Football kind of thing. That's the production it looked like they were going for, just moving it to Saturday, and assessing the team that's playing. Uh, you know, a Mac team or whatever other you know, kind of buy game that there is. So I would, for me, the this particular team, I'm thinking that we should probably know, we should know them about as, you know, we should know a little bit more about them after the first three. I would say the first Big yeah. Ten game, too. The Illinois game will be matter, will matter significantly. And then what kind of team does this, is Penn State uh, when it faces uh, Iowa? Mark, always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate yeah, you. Appreciate it. Yep, good seeing you Saturday. Mark Wogenrich, great seeing him too Saturday, by the way. Great to have Mark Wogenrich on the show today. Neil Kulong in the next half hour um, could be potentially derailed by the fact that I think Matt has more complaints. We'll see. Oh, he says, we'll see. I was hoping... Oh, I'm good. All right. <laughs> That's we continue on News Radio 1070 WQ. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by. 
Purdy Insurance. Marcus Reed in Sunbury. You can go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto home life business, motorcycle boat RV. They'll do everything they can to make sure you're fully insured, save you money. Could be bundles. Pros, pros. They're just really great people that are really great pros. Purdy Insurance, Marcus Street and Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we're in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street and Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 to 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Time now to get the bunting out, adorn the stadiums, because it is opening week. No need here. The ever-dependable and really remarkable in terms of his analysis. That's why he's here every week. Neil Kulong, sir, my friend, welcome. It is great to be here as always. I hope you guys are uh, are doing well out there, same way that I am. So let's get to opening week. Steelers right out of the gate. Get a tough one out of the gate. But we don't know what the deal is with Nick Bosa. Your thoughts on the opener, especially with the incredible Brock Purdy running the show? It, it's it's kind of funny. I was just talking with some colleagues about um, the, the the Colorado TCU game. Um, in my opinion, and I'm not a gambler, but I, I thought 20 points is a bit much for a completely different team playing in a new school. You, you don't have any idea who they are or what they're going to do. Um, San Francisco being a, a dominant personnel team, being a very well-coached team, is probably not going to play many games in which they have the better quarterback on the field. And that doesn't tend to, to bring you a whole lot of success, except Purdy is seemingly to be the, the exception to a pretty hard and fast rule over the course of the season. Um, what that means to me, I, I think anyway, is it kind of resembles the Steelers last year. They, they had a very similar setup. They probably were not going to have the better of the two quarterbacks. Um, they needed to win with what they had. They needed to be a, a, a true three-phase team. Add in the absence, the likely absence of Nick Bosa. I, I don't know how. Um, it, it, he didn't go through camp at all. He hasn't practiced. Uh, there, there is still time, technically. If this was week eight, we wouldn't know at this point if he was going to play or not. I think heading into week one, it, it's fairly safe to say he's not going to play 90% of the snaps, just my guess, uh, where we sit today. And it, it would be more likely that he won't play any. That's a significant loss. Um, again, very similarly to how we saw the Steelers operate without T.J. Watt. Things change. You have to make up for that, but that's still a, a pretty significant loss. Add in George Kittle to the mix. He might be the, the toughest matchup in the NFL for the position that he plays, for the, the type of all-around player that he is. It, it seems to me San Francisco at full strength is a better team than, than Pittsburgh is. I, I would have been okay with a, a, a 49ers by three spread, all things being equal. Without those guys, I don't know. I, I think Pittsburgh might have uh, a, a stronger unit overall, but I, I, this game is so up in the air to me. I'm not sure. We just we don't know who they are uh, without Bosa or Kittle on the field. We don't know 
uh, where Purdy is. He's, he was hurt most of the offseason. Uh, I don't think he exactly played like an all-pro last year. They set him up very well, not trying to, to take away from it, but we'd argue for the next 10 segments on everything about Brock Purdy if we're going to suggest, uh, if, if we're going to try to figure out what his talent level really is. It's a really tough evaluation to make on the guy, uh, except he works within a very good system for him, and he's made that work. I don't know if he can come into Pittsburgh against a, a kind of a retooled defense. They've got a lot more uh, strength up front. They have a lot more talent. Um, their secondary, maybe, you know, we might see some lapses in there, but this is a team that's going to get after the quarterback pretty quickly. Um, I don't know if Purdy is going to be able to handle that uh, mentally. You know, it, physically anybody can get sacked and get hurt. I just mean that from a mental perspective, um, he's going to get, you know, crushed, I think, pretty quickly into this game. Uh, is he able to protect the ball the way that he did? Are they going to be able to, to gain uh, yards and, and establish possession of the football consistently if they're not completing passes down the field? I, I don't know. I, I, I see a low-scoring game. Um, there's a lot to get into. This is a really good matchup, I think, for both teams uh, who have are, are kind of in a, a sense of flux right now. Uh, high expectations for both. Uh, they need to get off on on the right foot and you know drive that through the season. I think they're going to both be very different teams come December, but the starting point is going to be critical for each of them. I look at the two quarterbacks this way. I feel like Kenny Pickett is going to have to make some plays for the Steelers to win. I feel like Brock Purdy needs needs to stay away from the big mistake to allow the 49ers to win. I could say I think that's reasonable, and I think that's exactly what uh, Kyle Shanahan has done with the 49ers when they've had Purdy in there. Let's be honest. It's not, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo did a decent job, but it's not like he was a great quarterback. It's not like that offense ever ran on the strength and the talent of the quarterback uh, in and of himself. And I think you could make the argument now Pittsburgh has gotten used to that over the last couple of years. They've, they've been in the same spot. Uh, ben Roethlisberger's last, last season was not great in, in many ways. It's clear that he was deficient, um, you know, not terrible. He had he, he'd always been a, a very strong cerebral player. He's very smart. He knew what to do with the football. Uh, he took calculated risks when, you know, turnovers tended to happen. It was him being more aggressive than, than anything else. They, they couldn't get any of that with the quarterbacks that they've had uh, since then. We, we've seen that time and time again, but they've managed to, to find a way to stay you know, a slight chin above uh, 500. So with that, they know how to win those close games. And we talked about that a bunch last year. This is a team that if it's close in the fourth quarter, their heart rate doesn't accelerate anymore. They know how to play this kind of football. This, you know, drag the opponent down to our level and make it this this kind of nightmare-fueled, non-offensive game. Uh, possess the ball. Don't give them the opportunity. Very old-school kind of mentality. Um, San Francisco is largely predicated on scheme uh, and, you know, a boatload of excellent individual talent. You know, to point out as well, I, I think I've shared this on, on this segment before, my opinion is Trent Williams might be the best offensive tackle to ever play the game. Yeah, the guy is absolutely perfect as a player. Mm-hmm. He really doesn't do anything wrong. Um, can they utilize him in in their ground game? 
that's a major advantage, whoever you're putting over there. Um, it, it mix it up. If it's Marcus Golden, if it's Alex Highsmith, whatever, you're going to have a tough time getting around him. And they, they know how to use him schematically. They can still make big plays out of that. Um, San Francisco doesn't have that sort of limitation, I don't think, with the Steelers' uh, edge defenders. You know, they're, they're going to have to, if, if it is Bosa or whoever, uh, they're not strong enough, I don't think, at either tackle position uh, to, to be able to hold San Francisco off in that type of a matchup. So, for me, the Steelers have to make it ugly uh, to beat a team like this. I, I, you know, where I'm sitting now, I feel like Pittsburgh 19-17 if they're going to win. It's going to be something like that. Um, the Steelers have won a few in, in week one. Lately, I think they have one of the longer week one winning streaks in the NFL. But they haven't been pretty at all. <laughs> they had no business winning that game against the Bengals last year. Um, I, I don't expect it to be like that. But uh, it's, it's going to be a tough matchup, um, mostly in what the Steelers are going to have to do to overcome, I think, a, a talent deficiency um, against the very seasoned 49ers team, but the quarterback. And that, that's what makes this game so interesting to me. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting across the board, no question about it. Uh, in opening games in general, because of the way the preseason plays out, Neil, how long do you now feel it takes for us to see consistent tackling in the league? How how many games does it take now? Um, that's a good question. I know this 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 comes up a bit. My greatest vantage point for that is going to be um, the Steelers. And from what I've seen of them, they've definitely gotten a lot better as the year has gone on. But it really kind of seems like week one is a fourth or a fifth preseason game more than anything. Week two, they might rebound a little bit better. Typically, it's it's a home and away split between those two. By about week three or week four, you start to see – uh, more athleticism. Except if you look back in those games, they're racking up a lot of sacks. Yeah, you know that, that that's the part that really stood out to me in, in kind of digging into this. They get to the quarterback, so a lot of that having T.J. Watt helps. Having T.J. Mm-hmm. Watt play against Cleveland helps. <laughs> you know, you almost have yeah. to take him out of the equation because I mean there are games that they don't even know that he's on the field. Sometimes it's it's crazy. But even even with that, they're still getting sacks from a lot of guys. They have six in the game. You know, Watt has one and a half of them. But as as a unit, they're getting to the quarterback. They just they don't do much offensively. Um, and maybe that's the trend around the league. Offense just the longer uh, to warm up to get used to what's going on. Maybe some of that though. I mean, just for me, I should add this perspective. It, everything starts in the trenches. You know, it, it's it's your offensive line versus your defensive line. Those are your pawns. That's how you set everything up. Um, it seems like the defense has a, an easier time getting into the season than the offense does, and I, I feel like that has definitely been the case. Where it's not necessarily that the the Steelers' defense is dominant, although they are outstanding. They seem to rack up a lot of sacks early from teams that don't look particularly uh, aware offensively. So you, you put all that together. I, I couldn't give you a number. I just know that you analyze the, the first quarter of games. It tends to be very, very different than the second quarter of games in a season. 
and I wouldn't be surprised if that that trend continues because it it seems like not that they are doing less, it's that the contact isn't there in camp. They're not getting to that you know you know dirty muck it up kind of level on a consistent basis. They're trying to to replace preseason games with the inter squad scrimmages that they do, but even that it's not like they're running eighty plays or anything. You know they might right. do twenty one on one. So it, it's not. I, I I don't think they're going into the season all that prepared. I also think that that could be strategic as well. You know, playing well in December is a lot more important than playing well in September. I know that that logically doesn't make a lot of sense because four wins is four wins. But right. you're going to to suffer adversity as the season goes on. So if you have overcome that and you're moving in a good direction in December you're going to be playing much better heading into theoretically the playoffs. And I, I think teams are kind of pacing themselves more for a middle distance as opposed to the, the, the common thought, which is everything is a sprint. It, it, obviously the Steelers and, and 49ers are primary focus, but is there another game on the opening weekend that has caught your interest that you say, you know what, I really need to tune into that? Um, for me, it, it's I want to watch the Chiefs. Um, yeah. I'm curious to see what they're going to do, just because they're always the most schematically interesting team to me. Mm-hmm. Defensively, I want to see what Demeco Ryan's does with Houston. I'm not sure yeah. how good of a team Houston's really going to be, but I, I, I think he's a genius. I, I love the way he operates. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love what he brings to the defensive side of the game. Um, he's fun to watch. You know, I, I loved watching him in San Francisco, so I'm, I'm curious. Uh, from that, what they can do against Baltimore, a team that has a new offensive coordinator, what what are they going to be like? Um, we saw how bad Joe Burrow was when he missed a, a significant portion of camp with mm-hmm. probably a, a more debilitating injury last year. Is Cincinnati going to be able to start off pretty good? I, I don't know. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's sort of the race in the AFC. You know, I, I think there are the, the obvious favorites. I mean, you know, Buffalo is always a fun team to watch. You enjoy anything that they're doing. Um, and one week isn't going to decide everything, but you can get a good sense of who a team is and what they tried to build themselves to be. How about that? Buffalo, Stephon Diggs, if he gets eight targets, is he going to go absolutely crazy? Because I feel like we're we're not going to get long into the season before that comes up. You know, <laughs> literally the yeah, same thing he did right. in Minnesota. I'm curious how long that, that's going to last. Um, Bryce Young and Frank Reich, what's, what's that going to look like in Carolina? Um, taking on Atlanta, another team that I think uh, Arthur Smith is a phenomenal coach. I, I, they, they play offensive football in a much different way than everybody else does. Yeah. I'm curious if Bajon Robinson is the type of guy uh, that can take well to what they're doing. Uh, how will Desmond Ritter fare within that structure? Um, the fact they didn't make him a captain is interesting to me. It, mm-hmm. it, 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 I'm a total dork, though. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not typical of the market. I'm. I'm going to watch every game. So it, it's. Uh, days get a lot longer for me this time of year, and there there are a lot of things that really interest me uh, about the league as a whole. And you know, for, for me, the Steelers are the team that I've watched and I, I know the most about. I'm the most interested in. But uh, there there are a lot of games that I really want to watch uh, at, at various points this weekend. My friend, it is finally here. So now we get to actually start talking about and analyzing games on a week-by-week basis. That's the exciting part, but always great to have you on the show, no matter whether they're playing games or not. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Neil Kulong, joining us on the show. I'm contractually obligated to leave a little space at the end because we don't know if Matt's about ready to explode. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Is there anything left in. Just no, I, I think we're say. good. Yeah, I think we're good for Are today. Are you sure? Yes. I've gotten it all out of my to... system from the weekend. It's interesting because, the, you know, in um, I know you'd love to live in Baton Rouge and in Clemson, South Carolina, because the two shows there would fit right in with you. Because you, <laughs> you love trying to fire people. And Knoxville. Well, they're not trying to fire him, are they? No, no, not at the moment, but they were no, a few no. years ago. But right now, they're, well, Dabo, I don't know. I don't think he can coach in this era. And Brian Kelly, I don't know if we made the right choice. I mean, those markets right now, believe it or not, I find it in, almost inconceivable, but... I also want to be realistic. I'm pretty sure that you will have a segment of the population in those towns saying their guys have to go. Brian Kelly, we all know how I feel. But the thing with Dabo, I I, I think the guy's nauseating, but I, I still think he's a good coach. And this whole thing about that he doesn't, that he didn't do it, that him not doing anything with NIL and with the transfer portal is going to catch up to him, that may come well and true, but. A, it's too early to tell, and B, they should have beat Duke regardless last night. That's an embarrassing loss because they're the better team, the better program, regardless of what they do with the portal or NIL. It's not Duke because they team, lost that game last night. Duke is a team that won nine games last year, so they're not exactly a pushover. They obviously have a very good quarterback. And you know what's interesting to me in watching the game last night? And I wasn't sure I was going to watch it, but I thought, nah, you know what? It's the best thing on, so let's watch that. What struck me about Clemson on both sides of the ball, Clemson defense, the Duke guys at times could outrun them. Meanwhile, the Clemson de- the Clemson offense never got separation with their wideouts against the Duke defense. They couldn't get any separation. Makes you kind of wonder. Because... Clemson always was able to get separation from other teams with their speed. 